Yeah, so I don't know what you think of everything that's been going on on Impact Sunday. I don't know if you're standing on the outside looking into it or if you're in the middle of it and you're like, this is great, but what's it really about? You know, is this a kind of niche Christian activity to, to feel fulfilled about ourselves? Or is it like that thing which you do to try to get brownie points in the community, like a you know, corporate social responsibility, everyone's got to do some of it. Um, it's actually, it's not really either of those things. It's this incredible thing, which is part of the biggest possible scale of activity. It's like, I, I can't spread my arms wide enough to say how big this is that's going on. Like, God is actually establishing a perfect world. That's what's going on. God is he's establishing a perfect world in relationship with us. And whatever it looks like, history is not all going downhill. Um, but the mess that we have, quite frankly, made of the world is being fixed. And this is happening even now, even today, amongst us. And it's what the Bible calls redemption. It's huge. And it's happening like social, economic, political, ecological. God's love is working through all these different dimensions. And today sounds like it's been really cool, really significant. And a lot of you will have experienced some of that redemption. But the really key moment wasn't today. The really key moment in this whole story is actually 2,000 years ago now. Um, when God sent his, die, sent his son to die so that we could live. And everything else, all the good stuff, all the like holistic implications of this, all of it depends on this one thing that happened. And as Chris Wright says, he's written this really chunky but excellent book called The Mission of God. The cross was the unavoidable cost of God's mission. And just like Anne last month talked about the cross, talked about how in, in John God sent his son, we're going to zero in on the cross from a slightly different angle today. Um, but it's totally relevant. And that's what I want you to keep in mind as we get into this. That it's totally relevant to how we do any kind of practical engagement in any sort of sphere. And actually how we do anything at all. The cross is totally relevant to it. So stick with me. Um, because we're going to start by reading from a bit of one of the two letters written by Peter. One of Jesus' disciples. 1 Peter 2. If you've got a phone or whatever you want to follow along. 1 Peter 2. Verse 21 to 25. Um, I'm going to read this. Um, and then do two things. Firstly, just explore what this means. Um, what Peter's talking about. That Jesus bore our sins on the cross. And then we're going to think about how this shapes our lives. That's the two things we're going to do. So here's 1 Peter 2. 21 to 25. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So some of you may have noticed that this passage begins with um, saying to us that 
to this you're called. And so the whole point about what Peter's saying about Jesus here is to give us an example. It's to give us something practical. It's to give us something to actually do. So that's where we're going. But we have to see what's being said about Jesus first for that to be possible, for it to make any sense at all. So what's this saying about Jesus? In one way, it's kind of simple. Jesus lived the perfect life. He had no sins, no deceit, no retaliation or threats. Uh, and basically no taking judgment into his own hands. And you might think when you hear that, okay, well, that's, that's incredible. That's really good. Um, but it makes me feel guilty because that's not the way I am. Or it sounds a bit pointless. I'm not sure why he would have done that. Um, and either way, it's a bit hard to see how this can make so much difference to be the big, huge, massive thing I tried to say at the beginning. It all kind of comes to a head in verse 24. Verse 24 says this. Read it again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. This is just awesome. This is completely life-changing, completely revolutionary. I want to dig into this. So he bore our sins. Um, What sins? I mean, what sins... Have you got? For some of you, it might not take you long to identify your sins. You might be thinking that I've just thought something I shouldn't have thought. Literally right now, when Matt was starting to talk, you might be able to identify something that you're literally going through your head now that shouldn't be. Um, For others of you, it might be something more public, something really big that you've done, you've been called out for, maybe something you've got a criminal record for. It can be all kinds of things. But for some of you, you might be thinking this, thinking... I'm not really sure what could be sins or what could be like the kinds of things which are big enough for this to all make a difference. And I want to do a bit of a thought experiment. It won't be very hard, I think. Think for a moment about how you react when someone does something against you. So maybe they cut you off when you're driving, or in my case, like, when you're cycling, and you know that thing when you're cycling, especially down Mill Road or something, and someone just comes out right in front of you, and they obviously just don't care that you're a bike. They can see you, and they just drive straight in front of you. Think how you react. Or how, how do you react when someone makes a snide comment about you, or about someone you care about, or something you care about on social media? What about something more serious? When someone does something which completely destroys a relationship, or even destroys a life that you care about. You know that's wrong. Like when someone does something like that, you know in your gut it's just wrong. But then you nearly always shape your response by doing something similar back to them. That's just nearly always the way it happens. And usually when you do it, you kind of bend the rules somewhere or twist truth to to get back at someone. And it feels kind of justifiable. You're like, well, okay, well, that's just kind of pretending like for like. But <laughs> the whole point is it was wrong to start with. Does it really make more sense to say that something's right because you're the second person to do it? Like, sitting here, it's kind of obvious it doesn't. But, I mean, think honestly, how often do you let this kind of logic inform the way you, you act? 
I, I myself thinking about this so often. You let the kind of thing which someone does shape the way you react back. And it just doesn't make any sense to think that that's right. Just because you're the second person to do it. And this is a totally unique thing about Jesus that Peter points out here. It's so cool, so amazing. That he had absolutely no sin. And specifically, the way that worked is that he never retaliated. He had no deceit. He never twisted the truth. Never, ever. And boy, he had plenty of chance. Boy, things, things happened to him that would have got his back up or would have caused some reaction from him like this. Never, ever, ever did he react like that. And ultimately, even though he's a son of God, he left everything to the judgment of God, who's the only one qualified to judge at the end of the day. So that's what it means to be a good person. That's what it means to have no sins. However else you sort of construe yourself or how you think of yourself, that, Jesus, that's what it means to be a good person. So there's no doubt we've got sins. But what about Jesus? What's he done in response to that? Does he condemn us? Does he make us feel guilty? These things you can feel, like you read about him, sometimes I can feel guilty or feel condemned. Does he make us pay the price? Is he like, is it Jesus is going to get you kind of Christian message that, you know, you better shape up quickly because, you know, those old t-shirts you used to see, you know, Jesus is coming, better look busy. Is it that kind of thing? It's none of these things. And in fact, if it was, like, you couldn't really call Christianity good news. It'd be a bit of a, bit of a mockery to say that Christianity is good news. But the whole point why Christianity is good news, why it's gospel, is because Jesus does none of those things. And in fact... He bore our sins. Again, that's the whole point of this passage. All the bad stuff, like literally anything that you can think of, even the worst stuff that you haven't told any single other person about in the world, all that he took on, us, he took on himself. And it's a bit of a mystery here, isn't there? Because you think, well, how, how is it possible that a maverick Jewish rabbi from the first century bore all the sins of every human before him and after him. It's, like, it's completely mind-boggling. There's no grid for that at all. And it is a mystery. I'm not going to sit here and say, all right, this is how you understand it, A, B, C, done. That just would, that's just wrong. <laughs> because nowhere are we ever told that we can plumb the depths of this. In fact, there's never anywhere in the Bible where we kind of get let into the divine control room and shown sort of behind the scenes, oh, this is all the mechanics of how it worked, how Jesus bore our sins. It never happens. And that's why you get it described from all kinds of different angles. What Anne talked about back in last month was describing it in a different way. It's the same thing, but it's been described in a different way. Because no one single description can completely encapsulate what he's done. But there are at least like three different ways, just reading these uh, words of Peter, that he gives us as a kind of way in, like as a way to kind of grasp hold of this mystery of what it meant for him to bear our sins. So three, three ways he gives us. One is that he bore our sins as a, a substitute, like as the ultimate super sub, that he bore our sins as a substitute and even as a sacrifice. And this is something that God had been preparing Israel for for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
that sacrifice was just necessary. Um, they had to do all kinds of things. If you read through the first five books of the Bible, especially in Leviticus, you can read chapter after chapter of quite detailed regulation about what you exactly had to do and when. But the whole system of sacrifices, it was never actually going to deal with the problem. Like even when you think about it, how many bulls and goats are you going to have to kill to actually deal with something that you've done? It, it was never actually going to finally deal with the problem. It's like a shadow of this deeper reality that's going to come. So what could deal with our human sin? And that's where we come to the second point. That the way that Jesus bore our sins was actually in his physical body. Not an animal, but a physical body of a human. Sometimes you think of this whole thing, like all of Christianity maybe, as like the spiritual message where God kind of does something, he kind of takes away some sin from you up there, uh, and then it's kind of okay, and then you live this disembodied eternal life where you're sitting on the cloud playing harps, something like that. And it's all kind of happening up there in some never-never land which doesn't really connect with reality. But it's just not that way. Jesus bore our sins in his body. Again, it's a mystery how he did it, but it's in his body. It's somehow in his flesh and blood. He was, he was son of God, but he was also a Palestinian man. He was a tradesman, come traveling teacher. He ate, he slept, he bled, and he died this horribly painful death, hung naked by his wrists on a wooden cross. That's how much he loves us. And that's how much it hurt physically and all kinds of other ways even deeper than physically for him to bear our sins so he bore our sins as sacrifice he bore our sins in his body but also the final way is that it wasn't just his body but it was his wounded body that's kind of obvious from what I've just said but you might have noticed in, in what Peter says and Peter's quoting Isaiah the prophet here Quite a lot of what Peter says, actually, is more or less straight out of Isaiah, written 800 years earlier. He actually bears our sins by his wounds. And that's why Peter can say very straightforwardly, by his wounds you've been healed. You don't need loads of complex theology or metaphysics to get this. It's really, really simple. His horrible wounds are complete healing. Holistic, overall, everything, forever. That simple, so awesome. In fact, it's actually better. It's better than just healing in the normal sense. Because you know, if you're healed, it kind of implies that you're back to the way you were before. But this goes further. It's not just that we're back to how we were before, but we have this whole new and infinitely better life. If you think of your past life as, or even the present life, this is where you are at the moment, as basically being unable to get out of the grip of the kind of impulses I was describing. Being able to, unable to get out of this grip of like reacting according to the way people treat you or constantly having that anxiety about trying to get back at someone or trying to present, the way, uh, present yourself the way you think you should be presented. Trying to make sure you don't look like you've said the wrong thing at a certain time. Like if, you, if you're constantly controlled by that kind of sense, we're actually given the opportunity and the offer to die to that, to 
completely leave it behind. And to say, okay, that life of being controlled by sin, the impulse to retaliate, to indulge ourselves, to, to twist the truth, to hurt people, to cheat, it can all be gone. And we can say goodbye to it forever. So even though Jesus suffered what he did instead of us, in some ways it's like we can own his death. We can say, okay, that, that's our death. We can literally die to sin in an in, in even more real way than just, just physical death. There's something even deeper going on there. Again, it's a mystery, but no less real. So that's what he's offering us. Not just healing, but like dying to sin and then living. The word is righteousness here. Think perfect life, perfect relationships, perfect everything. That's what righteousness is. It's got a little bit pigeonholed as a theological word, but it's, it's just really, really good, basically. Better than the best of anything you can think of. That's what you can live. That's the invitation he's given us. So this is really, really awesome. It is so, so good. Um, and before getting into a little bit of how this then impacts some of the practical ways we live, I want to just give us a chance to respond um, to the fact that Jesus bore our sins. To that very straightforward but completely awesome fact. If it's the first time you've responded to it, or the umpteenth time you've responded to it, either way, it's all good. I'm just going to have a minute's silence just to, to respond to God somehow. Whether you say sorry, whether you say thanks, or whether you say to God, I don't get this stuff, I'm not even sure if you're there, I need you to show me more. It's all completely legit. But let's just take that minute to respond to this. Please don't sit on that, especially if that's the first time you've ever spoken to God or the first time you've, you've got some of these things. Don't sit on it. You know, do talk to someone, talk to anyone who's here, a friend who's a Christian, because it's just so significant. It could be far more significant than it actually feels. It doesn't always feel like a real big thing, but it's always significant. So the thing, the thing about the cross is it's the beginning it's not the end. Like it's a place where it's all got to start. But it doesn't end there. And what Peter's talking about touches on every single dimension of life. All the way we carry out all our relationships, whether political, economic, ecological, all these relationships. And there's a bit of a tension here because sometimes the cross and like this holistic dimension of life and mission sort of become separated from one another. And this is something that I first experienced myself um, as an undergrad in London, way back in the early 2000s. I was actually part of two churches at the same time, um, which uh, neither of them knew that I was two-timing the other, but that, that was the way it was. Um, I was in a big kind of city center church that was pretty middle class, very well established, very nice area. And I heard this message of the cross and how Jesus died for my sins, despite all the stuff I've done. And, and for a 19-year-old with a very, very messy life, it was just like gold dust. It was so, so good hearing that. It just meant so much. It kind of like lifted me out of this, this morass and 
Not everything changed real quick, but it was just gold dust to hear it. At the same time, though, what did it mean for that homeless guy who was sitting outside my library in Chantry Lane every day? There wasn't much, to be honest, in that church about how we actually engage with this reality of suffering around us. At the same time as that, I was involved in a completely different type of church. Um, a friend of mine was working there, very different area of town, very different sort of socioeconomic makeup of the place. And yet this church really connected with the community. They, they did stuff and they got people in. The sort of people that you get into that church, you never ever imagine them being in the church. Um, and they themselves weren't always aware that they were in the church. They weren't always aware of much. Like people really, very sometimes literally close to death. Um, and yet somehow find themselves in the church. This church was welcoming them and touching like some of the deepest, darkest parts of human nature that I thought this is, must be what the gospel's about. And at the same time, they were frustratingly vague about how this all connected to Jesus. And they, they didn't always make it clear that actually if, if these things are going to be fixed, these absolutely profound problems in people's lives, it had to have something to do with Jesus, with forgiveness. They were kind of vague about that. And I was convinced that these things belonged together. Jesus' death on the cross on one hand and like a radical and inclusive concern for others on the other. And I'm still completely convinced. I've spent the last two decades, one way or another, trying to work this out in practice and theory. And I'm convinced as ever that they, they completely depend on one another. When Christ bore our sins, he literally took us from death to life. And it's actually only from the cross we can move into the, the amazing, exciting, and oftentimes quite scary reality of God's life. It's such a deep comfort though, because you know, sometimes you're involved in Christian work and it can feel like, okay, I've got to justify myself by the stuff I'm doing. It's such an easy slippage. And I've had this experience many times myself where you get involved in mission, you get to the end of mission or even a mission day like today and you're like, this is so great. And you, you kind of feel in yourself like you've, you've sort of been a real Christian now that you've done something. And you sit satisfied because now you've kind of done what it takes to be a real Christian or something. I don't know if you had that feeling. Um, but no, God accepts you not because of that, but because of something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's especially comforting for me today because I, like, I haven't actually been in Cambridge today. Uh, my wife Mercedes and I live out in Whittlesford, south of Cambridge, and we're focusing our community lives there. And I actually really wanted a chance to like pray. I prayed for a chance to, to reach out to someone in the service this morning. That there's a whole pile of people came in for a baptism service, a load of people that wouldn't have ever been really in the church apart from that kind of thing. And just nothing really materialized. They just didn't get a chance to really talk to, engage with anyone. And it felt like I hadn't really had that chance to, to be missional and reach out. I did actually manage to, to free a small bird that had got stuck in the church. Um, it was a little blue tit. And anyway, um, hashtag village life. But I didn't do anything more heroic than that. But the basis upon which I can stand and preach now in this church it's not because of what I did or didn't do, or what you did or didn't do today, but because of Jesus. And that frees me and frees all of us 
to follow him without any fear, without any guilt, and certainly without any self-righteousness. So what does it look like to follow him? And I'm not saying much about this, because actually Peter doesn't say a whole amount, uh, a whole lot. It means a whole lot of things, but there's one aspect that Peter really emphasizes here, and that is suffering unjustly. It's a pretty strange and not very appealing practical application. This is what Peter's talking about. And in fact, the whole context, if you look, Peter's actually specifically talking to domestic servants, pretty much slaves. And what he's saying to them is that, okay, if you get beaten for doing wrong, no big deal. You you shouldn't have any credit from that. But if you get beaten for doing right, if you get beaten unjustly, because that was just a normal way, unfortunately, of treating domestic servants, they're actually being like Jesus. And they're fulfilling their calling. And this actually applies to everyone. You'll notice as he, he spreads this out that it applies to everyone. Not just if you happen to be in that specific horrible kind of employment. And it was horrible. And the whole logic of Christianity militates against slavery. But Peter's point is, while you're in that position, or in any social position, you're not as helpless as you feel. In fact, if you just go about the basic stuff that you should do, you do it with integrity, you do it with with faithfulness, you can actually give God glory. You can actually do the, the highest calling that anyone has in the universe, which is giving God glory. Peter himself, who probably died a slave's death uh, by crucifixion, he said that the kind of behavior which is just basically doing good, nothing complex, just doing what you know is good, even when you can see what consequences might come, that kind of behavior leads to God's glory. That people will see that and praise him. So I just want us to think about the fact that, you know, there's a deep tendency to try to take matters into our own hands, to try to control how other people see us, or try to make sure that other people are judged for stuff that they should be judged for. But Jesus actually, even though he calls out wrong, and Jesus does certainly call out wrong, he doesn't take matters into his own hands. He accepts completely unjust punishment. He accepts completely unjust treatment. And there's such a freedom to this. Just doing what's right. Don't try to control reactions. Don't be passive-aggressive. Don't straightforwardly try to retaliate against someone with force. But just allow judgment to sit with God. That's what it says. He just gave himself over and allowed the only one who judges justly, which is God, to make that judgment. It's kind of scary um, and it's really difficult, but it's really freeing as well. And if it sounds like you're going out on a limb... You're actually not, (laughs) because by doing that, you're in the completely safest place possible. This is why Peter concludes, and I'll conclude with this too, verse 25. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You can actually never, ever be anywhere safer than this, despite how it feels, despite that feeling sort of in your stomach that you have before you do something which is slightly edgy. You can never be anywhere safer. Because you're in the hands of the one who laid down his life for you. Amen.